Please uh, open up your Bibles and turn them to John chapter 3. Tonight uh, is the first Sunday of Lent. As many of you know, you um, have either been practicing Lent before, maybe you went to an Ash Wednesday service, or uh, you've been reading the Church Lenten devotional uh, this week. And um, just a reminder, if you didn't get one and you'd like to start, uh, we have the Lenten devotionals back in the back uh, for a suggested donation of three francs, but if you don't have three francs, don't worry about it, just take it, use it. Um, We're starting a series uh, for the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter that I I have called The Cost. Um, The reason I've called it that is because many times in church we know that Jesus has called us into this relationship and we hear these things, but Jesus also has some hard teachings especially in the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus says some things, and, and John records some things that Jesus said that sometimes are hard to understand. And as many of you uh, are learning about me, I like going through scriptures that are sometimes hard to understand. And so, uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John and looking at different things Jesus said and talking about the cost of following Jesus, what being a disciple of Jesus Christ costs us. And so tonight we will be in chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Many of you are familiar with this. Um, It's Jesus' conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And so uh, we'll start, uh, I'm not going to read it all at the beginning, uh, but we'll go through it bit by bit and uh, as we we go along. But start reading with me if you would. Uh, We'll start in verse uh, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear its sound. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So Jesus and Nicodemus are meeting. And, and, and this man, this, this Pharisee, this teacher, this ruler, uh, this member of the Jewish ruling council, he comes at night. And it, it can be guessed why he comes by night. We've talked, if you've ever heard a sermon on this, you've probably heard a pastor say, he came so that he wouldn't be seen by his contemporaries. He came to, to talk to Jesus um, kind of in secret. Whatever the reason was, maybe he really just wanted a private audience. You know, if you think about it, Jesus, as you read through the Gospels, had huge crowds everywhere and and was sort of mobbed by people. And and whatever the reason, he comes to Jesus by night. And in verse 2, if you look, it says he goes to him and he starts off really well. He says, hey, Jesus, I know you come from God. No one could do these things. You must be from God. He starts off really, really well. And even though Jesus doesn't require flattery, Jesus loved truth. And Nicodemus gets something. And we see right away, okay, this guy is not, at least he's not dumb. He knows that Jesus is something special. 
And so Jesus, in verse 3, sort of tests him. As we talked about with the woman at the well uh, last month, Jesus is really good at getting serious very quickly. And so in the same way, Jesus does this with Nicodemus. He says to him in verse 3, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. This is a hard teaching. We're familiar with it now and in our modern day and age. But if you think about a first century Jewish person or a Pharisee, this would be a hard teaching. Because they were waiting for the kingdom of God. This was their goal to seek the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus says, you won't be able to do it unless you're born again. Just a quick side note on the kingdom of God. If, if that phrase confuses you, uh, it, there's a simple answer and a complex answer. The simple answer is this, is that when it comes to Jesus' ministry, this is his main goal. Aside from pointing people to him as Savior, this is his main goal. He, he wants people to know that the kingdom of God is not just later, but it's here and now. And as Jesus goes through his ministry, especially in the book of John, he always refers to the kingdom of God and that it is here and that it is now and that it is available to us. And our goal is actually the same. How do we learn to experience the kingdom of God both here on earth and forever? Forever we trust will be taken care of, right? Forever we trust will we'll be there one day. But the, but the tricky part is here and now. And so if you do have any questions on the kingdom of God, I, I encourage you to do a study on it. Because I believe with my whole heart that the kingdom of God is experience, is, is, you are able to experience it, excuse me, here and now. But so, Jesus says this phrase, you must be born again. You must be born again if you want to experience the kingdom of God. And this phrase has become very popular, right? There's, this, there's a title on many of us that we use, that either we've used or other people have used, that we are born-again Christians. That we're not cultural Christians. We're not Christians just merely part of a church, but that we were born again. We label ourselves as such. There's even, if you Google it, a Wikipedia page for the term born-again. It tells you all about the difference between being a born-again Christian and not. And... Just so you know, some translations may say be born above rather than born again. The word in the Greek is translated both ways, but I think it essentially means the same thing. We must be born from above, or we must be born again. Jesus says we need to be reborn if we want to see the kingdom. We must be reborn some way if we want to experience the kingdom of God. And then in verse 4, Nicodemus, he started off really well, you know. But then Jesus says this phrase, and he says, well, wait a minute. How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Maybe the most obvious statement in the entire Bible. Surely this is not possible. I, I feel kind of bad for Nicodemus. I don't know, maybe he was just a really, really literal person, but he says this thing, and, and, and for centuries, Christians have given him a hard time. We see Nicodemus, and we're like, man, what were you thinking? You're sitting across from Jesus, and that's the words you choose to say. But Jesus, in his graciousness, explains it to him. And it's a great sermon. It's a wonderful explanation. He says, listen, don't, don't marvel at this. You should not be surprised, in verse 7, at my saying, but, but you must understand that we must be born again of the Spirit of God. We must be born again of the Spirit of God. 
It's fascinating. I want to encourage you, if, um, if you guys weren't here this morning at church, Doug actually, I didn't, we didn't plan this, gave a great sermon on the Spirit of God, and I would encourage you to go online and listen to it this week. Uh, it would really help kind of explain, and I think it would really round off some of these ideas well that I don't have time to go into with the Holy Spirit. But first, let me just say this. With the big picture, uh, this idea of the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit of God is a major theme. And we should remember that Jesus is kind of harsh here, and Jesus is very to the point because he's speaking with a teacher of the law. He's speaking with an expert. He's speaking with someone who devoted his entire life. This man most likely would have had most of the Old Testament memorized. He probably would have been able to recall the Psalms and the Proverbs and the first five books of the Bible by memory. And yet, he doesn't understand this major theme. Because if you do a study, on, if you do a Google search for the term born again, it doesn't come up in the Old Testament. If you do a Google search uh, on the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, you come up with all different things. It, it, and it says in the Old Testament many things about being reborn, but never specifically what Jesus is saying. It says in Joel that the Spirit will come upon all believers. It says in Ezekiel chapter 11 that we will be regenerated. In 1 Samuel, it talks about the heart of Saul being regenerated. But it seems that Nicodemus was confused. He had missed the teaching somehow. He's like, I missed that part of the Old Testament, Jesus. What are you talking about? What does it mean to be reborn? I don't understand. John Calvin, the famous theologian, said, What hope of eternal life do we have if we do not believe that man is renewed by the Spirit of God? See, Jesus brings this up to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was looking for the literal answer. He was looking for the exact thing. He was looking for the perfect definition. And Jesus says to him, hey, you just need to be born of the Spirit of God. You need to trust what God is doing on this earth. You need to repent and be baptized like John was doing. And we don't always understand the process, but we know what happens. And he goes and makes this comparison In verse 8, he says, The wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I love this analogy because the wind comparison is perfect. How many of us can explain in in, in, in precise detail the wind? How many of us can tell another person clearly how it works and where it comes from and where it's going and predict it? No, no one can. Well, maybe some people, but not me. I don't understand the wind. It's still a weird thing. But Jesus says, listen, so it is too with the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon believers and changes their lives and regenerates their hearts. And Nicodemus says, wait a minute, born again? I I don't understand. And so he asks one more time. He says in verse 9, Jesus, how? How can this be? You know, I, I... I commiserate with Nicodemus here because sometimes this is how I think. I read something in the Bible and I think, how can this be? This doesn't make any sense to me. I want it lined up. I want it defined. I want piece by piece. I, you know, For those of you who have ever studied theology or read books, there's, there's a kind of theology called systematic theology. And it's, it's like building blocks, right? And it, it all makes sense and it's all very logical. I love that. I read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology for fun. I'm a weird person. I I, I see Nicodemus and I'm like, oh, brother, bless you. Thank you for asking the question because I don't understand it. 
How can he be born again? It wasn't in the Old Testament. It doesn't say that. What is Jesus talking about? And then Jesus, in verses 10 to 21, lays it out for him. And he lays it out for us. And he says something that is so wonderful, but so, so difficult. In verse 10, he says, How are you Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done through God. This is a very powerful teaching of Jesus. And if you notice, Nicodemus doesn't say anymore. This kind of shuts him up. He's sitting there and saying, well, how, how? Tell me, tell me. And Jesus says this, and he's just like, okay, this was too big for me. I don't understand. Jesus says, how do you not know this? How do you not know this, Nicodemus? See, the Pharisees, and many times when we take our our Bibles too literally or when we try to find all the answers, if it's not there, we don't believe it. And so too, the Pharisees in the first century were so reliant on the law that when Jesus came, they missed the heart of it. They missed the reason Jesus came. They were so focused on trying to figure everything out and have a rule for everything that they missed the heart of God. And so we get verse 16, which is maybe the most famous Bible verse there is. I wasn't even a Christian, and I remember having this memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But how often do we look at it in context with what he's saying, what he's teaching in the verse after it? Verse 17, I think, is even more powerful. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. How many people think that Jesus came just to make them feel bad? Many people think that Jesus is is this vindictive, condemning, you know, you have to follow all of these rules, and that's not Jesus. This is a huge shift in thinking when Jesus says this. See, if we look at the law of the Old Testament the way the Pharisees would have or the way anyone in Jesus' audience would have, we break them all. And some of you immediately say, well, not all of them. Sure, we break them all. We break every single one of them. And we cannot, we cannot do this without Jesus. And if this is all true, and there is a just God, we need an avenue for redemption. He says, listen, 
Jesus didn't come to condemn. The world was already condemned. The world had made their choice. But Jesus came to overturn it, to redeem it. It's a great sermon. It's a great lesson. And Nicodemus sort of fades away because he just can't understand it. See, Nicodemus starts out with a lot to say. And then as the the passage goes on, his portions get smaller and smaller and smaller. And Jesus's get bigger and bigger and bigger. Why is this such a hard teaching? I think it's a hard teaching because there is no third direction. We must understand as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, there is no third direction. According to the very teachings and words of Jesus Christ, there is two directions. There is towards the dark and there is towards the light, and that is it. And for Nicodemus, in this context and in this setting, this was a hard truth. It meant following Jesus, not the Pharisees. It meant turning from the life he had spent to following this preacher, following this young rabbi from Nazareth, and not being sure what people would think. We see the same thing with the rich young ruler later on in the Gospels. Many of you are familiar with that story. He goes away sad because he can't turn to Jesus. And then we see a man like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who happily turns to Jesus. There's no third direction. And, and just so you know, for Nicodemus's sake, he actually comes back around. Later in John chapter 7, he stands up for Jesus a little bit. And then in John 19, after he dies, he really stands up for Jesus. I think it finally clicked for Nicodemus. He didn't go by night. He went in plain sight of everyone and helped with the burial of Jesus in uh, John chapter 19. It's a great passage. Before he went by night and after the cross, he went in the light, in the daylight, to go and help Jesus. I think by the end, Nicodemus probably knew who Jesus was and believed in him. I really do, and actually, many of the church tradition believes the same. In both the Orthodox and Catholic churches, he's been made a saint. He wasn't perfect, and I thank God for that. He was kind of like the rest of us. He's hesitant at times. He's confused at times. The hard thing about this for me is I read this and I realize people will choose darkness. People don't always choose the light. We've all seen it. We've all done it. We've all made choices that have been in direct opposition to Jesus. It's nothing new. We try to hide from God, don't we? We do things we're not proud of and we try to hide from God. It's the first thing Adam and Eve did when they sinned is they tried to hide from God and it didn't work. Jesus says it doesn't matter what you choose, God will know. It doesn't matter the the life you choose. He says all the things that are done in the dark will eventually come to the light. So then, what is the cost of being born again? Well, on the one hand, if you look at verse 21, it's nothing. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. If you come into the light, Jesus says, if you believe he is who he said he was, that you will be born of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God will flow through you, and the Spirit of God will lead you and guide you into the light. We do what is good and is true when we come into the light. Jesus already paid the cost of this on the cross, and we are made righteous in the eyes of God. So on the one hand, being born again costs us nothing. Jesus already paid the price. (laughs) And one of these great biblical paradoxes, it also costs us everything we know. It costs us everything we are. 
To be born again or to be born from above is to claim a completely new affiliation to the world. It's to say, I'm not from this country. I'm not from this family. I am of the kingdom of God. I am of God's family. I will say this, I am an American. I am a proud American. I love where I come from. And I love my family. And I would give my life for my family. But if it ever came to going against the will of God or my family, I would hope that I would choose the will of God. I sure don't plan on it. I am born of the Spirit. I am born from above. I am born of the kingdom of God. And and, and as Christians, we must understand that this is a temporary home for us. And in the meantime, what God calls us to that is so difficult is to bring the kingdom of God to earth. To be messengers and to be avenues for the kingdom of God to come to earth. And that's difficult. That's the hard part. That's the part where we give all of ourselves. You know, and it's hard for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons has been on display for me this week. There were two major paradoxes that happened to me this week, both really, really great and really, really bad. Um, do this without crying too much. Uh, we have some friends in the States, friends of friends, who, for lack of you know, wanting to go into details, lost their four-month-old baby girl. And it's just a tragedy. But in the same time, I got to do, many of you know Ruth and um, La Tura, and they recently gave birth to a son, and we have to have a dedication in their home with the grandparents, and we're rejoicing for one life, and we're mourning the loss of another. And I just, how do I balance this? This is too much, Lord. How do we bring the kingdom of God to a world with so much highs and so many lows, and what do we do about this? We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. And when we realize we are born into the Spirit, we realize we are born into a kingdom with no end, and that this world is just temporary. That there will be a day when all of the, the, the bad and the sad and the painful is no more. And when I look at my last week I had, man, I see the kingdom of God. What's amazing is this, is these people who I don't know personally, but we've just been praying for them and following their journey. When they lost their baby girl, they said, you know, The good thing is, is because of organ donation, we can give life to many other little babies that need help. And they're talking about glorifying God in the midst of tragedy, and you think, man, what does the kingdom of God look like? That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Bringing light to a dark world. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. It's a kingdom where we leave the darkness behind forever. And so when Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again, it's much more. It's much more than just being a born-again Christian. It's changing your whole affiliation. It's changing your identity. It's saying, I'm not German, I'm not American, I'm not Swiss, I'm not Canadian, I am a child of God. That's That's who you are. That's what defines you. And there may be some who are not sure. There may be some of us who are still wrestling, and that's good. Wrestle with who you are. Wrestle with God's desires for you. Think these things through. Because there is a cost to following Jesus. We give up our identity. At one point, 
in the Gospel of Luke, we're not going to teach on this, but at one point in the Gospel of Luke, he's teaching to his disciples and his family's outside. And they say, Jesus, your family's outside. And he says, no, my family's right here. At one time, he tells disciples, he says, hey, I want to follow you, but I need to go bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. If you want to follow me, come now. There is a cost to following Jesus. In the coming weeks, we're going to study his authority over our lives, his power over our lives. We're going to talk about how we are born blind. And as we are born again and grow in the spirit, our eyes are open to truth. But the problem is, is that once our eyes are open to truth, we're responsible for that truth. We'll even talk about, and this is true, this is exactly what it says, that the world will hate you because you are born of the Spirit of God. It says the world will hate you, not dislike you, not dismiss you, not think, oh, you're that weird Christian person. It says, Jesus says that the world will hate you. There is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. But at the end, we're going to celebrate Easter. And at the end of this talking about the cost of discipleship, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his perfect love that not only fills us with the Spirit for our time on earth, but fills us with the Spirit for eternity in a kingdom with no end, in a kingdom with no pain and with no suffering. And that's what we long for. That's what we pray for. That's what we work towards. We will rejoice that we are heirs to the same kingdom of Jesus Christ. Not of the darkness, but of the light and of the truth. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for Nicodemus. I know he was stubborn and I know he was confused. But Lord, I see myself in him. Lord, I thank you that he asked Jesus hard questions. And Lord, I thank you that Jesus gave him truth. And Lord, as you have given us truth tonight, that we must be born again, that we must be born from above, that we must be born of your spirit. Father, I pray that we would allow your spirit to rule our lives. God, that we would change our affiliation to a country, to a place, to a job to be your children, to be your sons and your daughters whom you love, and that that would be our identity. Lord, that that would be our identifier in this world. Lord, thank you for calling us sons and daughters. Thank you for loving us so wholly and so completely. Thank you for your grace. Lord, go with us. Lord, lead us and convict us of the things we need to see. God, take your light and shine it in the dark places in our life. Reveal the things in our lives that we need to see so that your light may shine all the more in our homes and in our workplaces and in all our relationships. Lord, we love you. And we ask these things in the powerful name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.